This fall we're going to look at the book of Psalms. In fact, we're going to look at book one of the Psalms, which is Psalm 1 through 41, mostly written by David. In fact, David has Psalms scattered throughout the Psalms, and uh, all five books, actually. And to understand the Psalms, are actually, there are five books. Each book ends with a benediction. There's a benediction at the end of Psalm 41. And to understand the Psalms and how they're collected is, is very similar to the way we do hymn books, right? So for 2,000 years, Christians uh, have written poetry, and musicians have taken that poetry and made hymns. Uh, and those hymns have different topics. And so what uh, hymnists do is they, they gather uh, the hymns and put them in different categories. And so you have hymns of praise, you have hymns about the work of Christ, you have hymns about discipleship. That's exactly what the Psalms uh, is doing. It's, it's, uh, it's putting different books for different occasions. So, for instance, in book two, the, the, the Psalms of, of Korah were written for public worship. Uh, book four is the Psalm of Ascents, when the Jews uh, would go up to Jerusalem for the Passover. They would sing together. They, they brought these hymns together as the Psalm of Ascents. I'm going to say more about that later, but I don't want to bore you with all the detail that's there, but I want to look at book one. And most of book one, and we're going to look at 15 psalms in book one, so I can't go over all of them, they are psalms of David. Now, why are we going to do this? Why do I want to look at the book of Psalms? You should always be asking the question that I'm asking myself, what shall we preach on next? What is particular to our congregation that Howe is preaching at Redeemer versus Resurrection Presbyterian or Prince Avenue Baptist or First Baptist? Let me tell you why I want to do this. In the 18 years I've been the pastor here, we started Redeemer 18 years ago. What's become very clear to me over the years, sometimes uh, as, as I shepherd the flock, that I believe Christianity makes a lot of sense to many of you. But you don't really hear the, the music. You know the lyrics, but you're not, you're not dancing. The gospel. In many ways, we're kind of like engineers. Presbyterians can be like this. Engineers are those who construct the house. They know how to build the house, and they build the house. But there's a difference between the house and the home. The purpose of the house is so there can be relationships. So there can be warmth in the cold. So there can be family. There can be love and there can be relationships with one another. To put it another way, if you look at the creation when God created Adam and Eve, uh, when he brings Eve to Adam, the first thing out of Adam's mouth is poetry. The blessing of, of the relationship that God has made between a man and a woman created in his image uh, in such a way that before their sin, uh, that what God intended was there to be this incredible relationship as Adam and Eve together as vice regents with God are to subdue the earth. And how meaningful is their marriage? Because it has a purpose and it has meaning. And so, so Adam is, 
is, is saying poetry the first thing out of his mouth. And so the question is, that for us as Christians, is there poetry in your marriage? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the things that we know, is it beginning to penetrate our lives in such a way that we just don't know the house, we're living in the house. The relationships in the body of Christ. There's relationships in your marriage. And so my goal is for us to bore down a little bit. Because what we have in all the Psalms is we see the psalmist wrestling with how to apply the gospel to their life. We all struggle with fear and doubt and sin. And the psalmists record these things. But the gospel's got to get beyond the, the surface level because if it's not penetrating you and your marriage and your relationships, then all it is is, is, is just information. That's exactly why I chose Psalm 1. Psalm 1 shows the distinction between a person who knows the weightiness of the gospel and the person who puts their trust and hope in all those things that are weightless. So we're either substantive people in our union with Christ and the weight of His glory begins to enter our lives or, or we're weightless people. Because you put your trust in your husband or your wife. You put your trust in Redeemer or pastors or the Reformed faith. You put your trust in everything but Jesus himself. So with that in mind, let's look at what Psalm 1 tells us about this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we come to confess that you're the true and living God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we all confess to you, Christian and non-Christian alike, that either we do not know that truth or we lose sight of that truth. And our lives are run by circumstances rather than resting that you loved us so much you gave your son to shed his blood that we might have life. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear 
We ask that you would give us grace to believe this gospel and respond. And so we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You know, it's interesting about the psalm. The psalm begins with this word blessed, right? The very first word out of the gate to these uh, 150 psalms is the word blessed. Uh, I went and looked at the last uh, verse in Psalm 50. The very last verse, it closes with this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So, happiness and true happiness and blessedness uh, has something uh, to do with worship. Uh, It has something to do with the fact that true happiness and blessedness uh, leads to a life that has substance and has meaning. Now, I, I do not doubt that some of you who are here this morning would go, wow, that sounds like a very religious sermon. Um, I, I did not come here <clears throat> to worship God necessarily. I came here to be blessed. I, I came here because uh, circumstances are not uh, great in my life, and uh, you know I have a lot of questions. Uh, and you're going to talk to me uh, about uh, blessedness and uh, worship of God. And that throughout all of eternity, if God is who he is, then we're going to live in heaven. And you know what we're going to do forever and ever and ever? We're going to worship him. And we're going to delight uh, in him. And you might be saying, I I need something more practical. Well, really, part of the the point of the sermon is, I, I want to encourage you, if you're thinking that way, there are a lot of us who are here this morning who profess to be Christians. But if we're honest, we'd agree with you. We're we're kind of bored with the law of God, delight in the law of God. I mean, that would be like for some of us saying, oh, I delight going to the dentist. Because God's law, I do not delight in. Because you delight in other things. There are other things that bring meaning in your life. But what our psalm is is telling us is that either the weightiness of who God is is penetrating to the very depths of your soul and because of that, the blessing in your life is that you become a weighty person yourself. You know the old saying, uh, I've been blessed so that I might be a blessing. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we mean by blessed? We hear that word a lot, right? Oh, bless, oh, bless you. Bless you today. Have a blessed day. <laughs> and I wonder what people mean by that. It, what I think it could be is, I hope you win the lottery. Uh, I hope you get the boyfriend or girlfriend you want while you're at Georgia. Maybe a husband or wife. Uh, I, I hope that my favorite team wins. And of course, these are kind of blessings, but, but those, those take no discipline, do they? Well, I hope the Lord just blesses you. But the title of my sermon, sermon is The Discipline of Happiness. 
And that's exactly what the word means. The word blessed means this. And the Hebrew would say basically this. Oh, how happy is the man. And then the psalm goes forward. So the question that's here uh, before us this morning as we think about these psalms. Are you happy? And if you're happy, is it because of real substance in your life and rooted in the person of God? Or are you simply happy because of circumstances? Um, you know, for you Clemson fans, she was on our foot last year, right? We kind of came to church depressed last year. You're coming to church depressed. And we're all happy. And we wish we didn't have an open date. But that... But if you're happy because of circumstances, then you're not, a, you're not a weighty person. That's not what this psalm is saying. It's not saying, blessed is the person when everything is great and they bless God and thank God. That takes no discipline. But according to the scripture, true happiness and blessedness is in being rooted in Christ and meditating upon what all that means in such a way that it opens up this gate into our life and the realities of Jesus' resurrection permeate our lives. So the question to you if this morning, if you're a Christian, I want to ask you something. Why are you so fundamentally unhappy all the time? I mean, you know, you know the theology... You know about Reformed theology, that God is sovereign and we're wicked and Jesus Christ is substituted for us. But the just shall live by faith as well as be justified by faith. And faith means you have a living relationship in this God. So I want to ask you this morning, are you happy or are you miserable? Are you here today hoping that God's going to bless you and maybe your circumstances will change? Or are you here today to say, God, I don't understand you sometimes. But I know that you delight in yourself. And so I want to learn what it means to not delight in all the other stuff, but to delight in you. And I'm telling you, as your pastor, I want you to be happy. <laughs> I don't want you to be miserable. And so here's the first thing to see from our text. That there's nothing wrong with being happy. This psalm opens up, and the, and the correct translation, again, is, Oh, hap, how happy is the man. You know, one thing we talk a lot about is the gift of life, don't we? Life is, is a gift. It's a gift from God. Uh, and uh, if you've not become so cynical, you can look at a child, and when you see a child, you, you, you see that child, and that child, as a general rule, uh, is happy. Um, I had the privilege of taking care of uh, or helping watch uh, our, our granddaughter, and she comes out to our house every day. Mary Beth uh, uh, watches her. And uh, I have a hard time getting to work because I enjoy being with her so much. Uh, but one of the things I discover, uh, just, just as, I, as I look at her, I mean, she comes, she, she sees us, she's happy, she's happy that she's at our house, and she loves her parents, and she's happy when her parents come. 
And I think of all the good things that she has in store for her life. I mean, she's happy with applesauce. Not me. But one day, she'll be happy with steak. There's a lot to look forward to. Uh, right now, she's, uh, she's happy with, uh, with walking and learning how to walk. But one day, she's going to be happy to learn how to drive a car so she can go where she wants to go. Uh, I think she delights in her relationships uh, with us. And, uh, but one day that she will know the joy of what it means to have a relationship with one that can know her in a way that no one else can know her. In a relationship uh, with a loving husband. So happiness is possible. Because God gives us good things. He created the world and he said the world... Uh, everything that he created, he said, is good. Food is good. Marriage is good. Relationships are good. So the question is, why are we so unhappy if God is so good and everything that he created is good? Well, the reason that we're so unhappy is because, according to the scripture, our parents did the very thing that we do, and we find our happiness in the gifts rather than the giver. We begin to delight in food, and so we have food addictions. We begin to delight in relationships, and so if somebody doesn't love us the way we want to be uh, loved, then our life goes up and down based on whether we're loved. We put our happiness in money and material things and comfort, don't we? that I can pay the bills, and that life is turning out good for me, uh, and as long as the money's there, then we're happy. But when the money's not there, or when the relationship goes south, or when my grades aren't what they need to be, or when all of a sudden that thing that was a pleasure to me becomes an addiction, then we've been given over. And rather than being rooted in who God is, who's the great giver of all things, we find ourselves rootless in all these things that are perishing anyway. But the fact is, God is not against our happiness. Listen, you don't wake up every day and say, hey, I wonder if I can be miserable today. I mean, unless you're happy being miserable, but then you're happy. <laughs> uh, people are going to counselors in, in great, great, great numbers now. And again, I think one of the reasons they do that is we no longer live in the age of theology. We live in the age of psychology. But you don't go to the counselor so that you can leave and be unhappy. You go so that perhaps that counselor can help you understand why you're so unhappy. And yet our text tells us very clearly the distinction between those who are happy and those who are not. This brings me to my second point. The writer of the psalm, who's probably David, shows us the distinction between the man who's ultimately blessed and the man who's ultimately crowded. Uh, the, I mean, ultimately cursed. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to show you the description of the wicked versus the righteous, and then he's going to show you the reason uh, for the difference between the two. So what is the description? Well, notice what he says about the wicked 
He says they're like chaff. Now when he's talking about the wicked, he's not talking about those people that are out there, these terrible people who murder and fornicate and are the drunkards. I mean, that, that certainly can be included in it. But basically what it means to be a wicked person in this context and to be a godless person is that your roots are not in God. Your soul, your life is not rooted in Him. It's rooted in other things. And anything other than if God is there and if the true and living God, who is the one who is the only one who is glorious and weighty, then if you're rooted in any of these other things, then you're like chaff. You're weightless. You're like the song, uh, like a rolling stone. Um, born to be wild or uh, what's that other song oh I can't get no satisfaction born to be a rambling man and of course uh, those guys used to sing that when I was about 15 years old I guess they're 75 now I guess they're still rambling along as a 75 year old but there's no freedom in that to be a rootless person. Let me tell you, it gives a great illustration about what chaff is versus those who are weighty people. The weight is the grain. It's the fruit. It's what ultimately feeds other people. And what they would do at the harvest is that they would take uh, uh, the grains, and you've probably seen it, they throw it up in the air, and then when the winds blow, it blows all the chaff away. And only that which is weighty Falls to the ground. Can we all agree? I mean, even if you don't believe in the gospel or you're not sure what you believe, can at least we all agree that modern man is a rootless man. That I'm telling you, if you're not a Christian, or if you say you're a Christian, but you're not meditating and finding rootedness in the person of God, then I'm gonna I know that you're an unhappy person. Unless you had a boy, unless you have found a boyfriend this this past week, seriously, or if you made that sale, or if life's turning around, or your 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 marriage is going the way you want it to, then the scripture says you're weightless and you're rootless. There's no glory. Let me put it another way. Let me ask you this: What is the non-negotiable in your life? What is it? Do you have non-negotiables in your life? Let me tell you, to be rooted in the person of Christ who's raised from the dead, you have lots of non-negotiables. And one thing that cannot be negotiated is that your life is about glorifying Him no matter what your circumstances are. That is what your life is about. Your life doesn't go up and down based on your checkbook. Uh, my wife and I, I tell you, we went, uh, I think we counted about 20 years. We did not know how we would make it through one month for 20 years. Would you think that would wear on you? And my dad, uh, who had the means, would always ask me, he said, son, do you need any money? And I'd say, well, dad, let me ask you something. Do you need any money? And of course, he'd always laugh, like, who doesn't need money? And I'd say, yeah, no, we're fine. But partly because I understood, by God's grace... That cursed is the man who trusts in man. 
whether it's a preacher or whether it's R.C. Sproul or J.C. Ryle. You see, the non-negotiable for the Christian is that you want to honor Jesus with your life because he's the one who's been poured into you and he's your substance. Let me give you one example of this. Um, 1 Corinthians 6. Are you familiar with that passage? I think about this passage a lot. Because sometimes when I listen to the way we talk to one another and uh, instead of kind of building people up and going, hey, uh, uh, you know, this, this person, um, they're young in their faith. We need to be patient with them. We need to love them, so on and so forth. Um, we, we, uh, tend not, we, we tend to, to, to not, we tend to see things from our perspective. Let, let me give you an example of that. 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, it's a passage for you today if you have a dispute with another Christian. You know that passage, Paul's basically dealing with all these problems in the Corinthians church. And throughout the Corinthians church, uh, throughout the whole book, he's he's trying to apply uh, the resurrected Christ to all these situations because people are getting their minds off Christ and they're getting their mind on things like tongues. Uh, They're getting their minds on things like uh, uh, who sits where at the Lord's table. But one of the things that he had to deal with were Christians suing each other. Now, sometimes when I think about the essence of what it means to be a substantive person, I think of the person in 1 Corinthians 6 who rather than taking his brother to court would rather be wrong for the sake of Christ. That to me is substance. But the wicked, not so. Because you see, if a person's life is rooted in all the things, then you have to have those things. But the problem with that is your whole sense of being goes up and down based on whether those things are being rooted themselves. But eventually, everything created, everything made, eventually when the winds come, it will blow away the most stable things. And so if you find your uh, substance and your meaning in life and your happiness and all those things and you're like the chaff. And you know what really the wind's talking about there? I've just got to be honest with you. It's talking about the judgment of God in that great day. In other words, if you're not rooted in Jesus Christ, if you're not united to him, and you think that, well, okay, I need to delight in the law of God, so I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to be... Uh, keep the Ten Commandments. I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm going to, yeah, that's what I need to do. I'm going to read my Bible more. Then you missed the point. Because you see, the only thing that will keep you from blowing away in that day is not by being a good person and by keeping good, doing good works. The only thing that's going to keep you from blowing away is if you are rooted in Jesus Christ. Are you rooted in Him? You say, well, how would I know? How would I know that? Well, our text tells us the difference between the unbeliever and the believer. Because he describes the believer as the opposite of the unbeliever because the believer is one who is rooted. Now I must say the grace of God comes in here because it doesn't say that the tree plants itself. 
Not so the righteous. The righteous are like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Notice something organic is going on here. It is the grace of God. This is what it means to begin to find your sense of meaning and purpose is because of what God has done. But when God does it, he plants you. Uh, Peter is very clear about this in 1 Peter. Peter says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. You see, the reason the psalmist says the person flourishes is because they are rooted in Christ. They have roots. Jeremiah 17 says this, Accursed is the man who trusts in man who makes flesh his strength. You know who man would be then? That might be your mom or your daddy. It might be the guy that you work for. It might be that great church member who at one time had lots of money, willing to give money. Now they don't have any money. Cursed is the man who trusts in man who makes flesh his arm, his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He should dwell in the parched places in the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Again, here's a description of those who are not planted. They're just like the willowweed, uh, tumbleweed that's tumbling around. But notice what Jeremiah says as he refers to this verse. That blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. You see, what's interesting here is it's not saying that anybody that's in Christ is not going to suffer through the heat. But what it's saying is when the difficult times come, it's when you begin to flourish because you discipline your life to meditate upon the truths of Scripture. And when it talks about the law of God, it's not talking about the Ten Commandments. It's talking about the entire revelation of God and His grace through Jesus Christ. You've heard me say many times, as a Christian, the only opportunity you have to suffer for Christ is in this life. When you pass from this life, you'll be with Him forever. But the tree is in distress. It's not as though Christians have the happy by and by. It doesn't mean that, well, I'm happy because my circumstances are good. It says, I am blessed because no matter the circumstances, I have Jesus Christ. And that makes music. And people love to watch authentic Christianity. So that no matter the circumstances, they see you dancing and singing. And then when it's time to mourn, they watch you mourn with the best of them. When it's time to weep, you weep with the best of them. But they know that you mourn and weep in light of the world to come. That one day you'll be planted in heaven with him. 
One last thing that's very important to see is this. Who lives this song? Anybody here go, man, I just, every day, I can't wait to be with Jesus. Anybody here? Every last, every, how many here go, man, you know what? Absolutely, I'll take it on the chin for Jesus Christ. Say, you could, yeah, I tell you what, I'm in a business deal with you and you did me over. Heck yeah, I tell you what, I'll, I, that's good. I love it. Feels good. How about King David? How did he do? You know what, from Psalm 1 all the way to 41, we get past 2, and we're going to look at 2 next week, you'll just see David just kind of fumbling all over the place. Right, because he took another man's wife, had a man killed. David delighted in God, but he wasn't perfect. And maybe even as a Christian, you delight in the law of the Lord, but at the same time you go, but man, you know what, I don't, I don't, I got a tough situation this week. I think I'm going to be uh, treated unfairly. What shall I do? Here I am in my marriage, and here's my marriage. And, and uh, you know, I'm supposed to love my wife, but she's not so lovable. Or I need to love my husband, but he's not so respectable. And, man, do I hear this a lot. So anybody in here live this song? I don't want you to stand up right now. Well, let me tell you, this psalm is about Jesus. Because you see, Jesus lived these psalms. He knew these psalms. He knew that he's the ultimate fulfillment of these psalms. He is the ideal person. Because he loved God and he loved man. He loved God. And you're talking about somebody meditating on the word. Do you realize as a human being that for 30 years before he ever gave his first sermon, he studied? Did that take discipline for him to do that? Or did it just kind of come off the top of his head? But you know why he disciplined himself? It's because he knew that God, his Father, is good. And he loved the Father, and he loved us. And I want to tell you what, he became our substitute to do all these things that nobody in this room does. You see, being a Christian is not trying harder to keep the law. It is all of a sudden being in this relationship with this person who has substituted for you, and you're united to him in his life. In his death, when he died, you died if you're a Christian. You were united in his death. And I'll tell you what, when the winds of God's judgment came, they blew all our sins away, but he stayed on that cross. And he put his faith in his father, though he was forsaken by his father, for our sake, and he stayed for our sake. And now he's raised from the dead, and we're united in his resurrection. Do you live in such a way that you understand that he's your substitute. Let me close by. So, so he's done it all. I mean, listen. You remember last week I said, you will not get better until you realize you don't have to get better. Now that Jesus has done all these things and lived this out for you, do you understand now, now you have the freedom to say, okay, Lord, I tell you what, I certainly didn't love you that much last week. Would you give me the grace to do it again because I'm united to Jesus and all his love? And everything that he did for me. To put it another way, let me put it another way. Uh, you're united to his inheritance. He gave you, he took your poverty and he buried it and he gave you all his inheritance. You're united. You can write checks on the righteousness of Christ. 
You're not struggling to be free. You're free to struggle. I'm telling you, there's a huge difference. There's basically that view of reality in Christianity and the other one, which is struggle to be free. Versus the gospel, which Jesus Christ is our substitute. He's freed us. You're united in his death and resurrection. You see how life-empowering that is and the substance that can bring into our lives if we believe that, that we can really change. Why? Because we're united to Jesus. Jesus will never cast you away. He will never cast you away. And you can root yourself in him. Let me ask something. Do you hear the music this morning? Is it starting to come to you? Are you still tone deaf? It's like, please don't sing this morning. I can't, I can't hear myself sing. You're tone deaf. Because are you doing the lyrics, but you know the music. The gospel is the music of knowing Jesus and giving yourself to him. Let's pray.